Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Well, we're back in the office this week after the Iowa State Fair, 11 days of the fair, and now we are getting ready for the Farm Progress Show in Boone, which will be coming up next week, and we're looking forward to providing you coverage from that big-time event. Welcome to this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson. Dustin Hoffman, Riley Smith, and Russ Parker will join us later in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at our news headlines. The Pro Farmer Crop Tour took place this week in several states around the state of Iowa and in Iowa itself. West Iowa numbers were lower, but better than some expected in the southwest region of Crop District Number 7. Numbers for corn were up at 173.7 bushels per acre. That's down 10% from last year's 192. Western Tour Lead Chip Flory says this is more about how good the last couple of years were in the southwest rather than how bad this crop is. Well, the biggest thing is obviously the 9.8% drop in the average yield. And it came by way of the grain length, down 9% on the grain length from a year ago. There is good corn in southwest Iowa. There's no question about it. A 173.7, it's still down about 7.5% from the three-year average. I think that says more about how good it has been in the last three years in southwest Iowa, more than a 173.7 is a quote-unquote bad yield. District 4 in West Central Iowa also saw a 10% drop in corn to 181 bushels per acre. This was down from 201 last year. Most of this was because of small grain length, just like in South Dakota and Nebraska. It's stressed at different times as the size of that ear is being established and determined. But in many cases, we're looking at some tip back on the corn. It might be some poor pollination at the tip or at the butt of the ear. But for the most part, it's a post-pollination issue that we're looking at. District 1 in the northwest only saw a 1.5% drop to 181.12 bushels per acre. On soybeans, crop scouts were surprised. Pod counts in a 3-foot by 3-foot square were adequate. District 7 saw a 10% drop to 1,223.8. District 4 came in at 1,258.9, which is a 3% gain. And District 1 saw their average hold, even with 2021, at 1,089.7. Brent Judish talks about what he saw. Today we saw a pretty normal soybean crop. It looked healthy from southwest Iowa to northwest Iowa. The pod counts were solid. They were off a little bit from last year, but the pod counts are there. The factory is there. The plant health is there. If we get another rain or two, we're going to have very good beans. If we don't get any more rain, we're still going to have good beans. Judish echoed the concerns where conditions were the driest. That was near Sioux City and Lamar's. The route that I had today was really dry along the Highway 3 corridor from Lamar's west to the western border. That's north of Sioux City. But when we were along the Highway 3 corridor, we had less stress in the beans but a lot of stress in the corn. But that's where we did have our lowest pod counts of the day was in that corridor along and either side of Highway 3 about 20 miles. The crop tour wrapped up in the state of Minnesota. In other news, United States egg production totaled $9 billion during July. That's down 3% from last year. The Department of Agriculture says production included 7.69 billion table eggs and 1.31 billion hatching eggs, of which 1.22 billion were broiler type and 90.7 million were egg type. The average number of layers during July totaled 368 million, 
down 4% from last year. Total layers in the United States totaled 369 million, down 4% from last year. Egg-type chicks hatched during July totaled 50.1 million, that's down 2% from July 2021, while eggs in incubators totaled 49.9 million, up 11% from a year ago. Domestic placements of egg-type pullet chicks for future hatchery supply flocks by leading breeders totaled 166,000 during July 2022, that's down 17% from July 2021. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Up next, it's Russ Parker with his faith-based food for thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. Last weekend, we attended the world-famous sauerkraut days in Lisbon, Iowa. Part of their celebration includes a car show, and we enjoy driving one of the old Bel Airs from Albia up to the show. There are a lot of moving and not moving parts to this story. So, to keep it within my allotted time, suffice it to say, we kept the parts store in business purchasing fuel filters. On the highway, all was good. But the town driving and all the stop and goes stirred up some junk in the fuel tank, and that junk caused all the problems with the fuel filters. Obviously, the purpose of a fuel filter is to provide a mechanism to keep the fuel clean before it reaches a carburetor, thus allowing the motor to keep running. There are all kinds of filters designed to keep the bad stuff out. For example, a furnace filter or a water cartridge for the tap water for the fridge or even a pool. And for those who do their own maintenance on their vehicle, you're familiar with an oil filter. Other kinds of filters have been much talked about topic in agriculture in recent years. Filter strips, bioreactors, use of cover crops, and other nutrient management practices. The goal with these kinds of filters is the same. Keep the bad stuff out. People have filters too, but I will confess I'm far from an expert in understanding how this process works. Theoretically, at least, the idea is that our brains process information, filter the good info from the bad, and the result includes good choices, pleasant, or at least well-thought-out conversation, and positive actions. Fact of the matter, there is no such thing as a one-cartridge-fits-all, so each of us has a custom-designed filter. In my life, I have found what I believe is the perfect filter. As I live my life, it provides a tool to process my choices, my conversation, and my actions. This filter helps keep the junk in life from shutting down my life. It's called the Bible. It's the perfect filter for my life, and if you're looking for a way to deal with life's junk, I think you'll find it a good read. Food for Thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. That's it for segment number one here on this week's episode. Coming up after this short break, Riley will visit with Dr. Justin Glisson, state climatologist. This is Weekend Ag Matters. In August, we celebrate National Water Quality Month. In 2013, Iowa rolled out the Nutrient Reduction Strategy, which aims to reduce nutrients and surface water from both point and non-point sources in a scientific, reasonable, and cost-effective manner. Such can be achieved by way of cover crops, watershed planning, bioreactors, saturated buffers, drainage water management, and extended crop rotation. These are just a few examples of how you can play a part in improving the state's water quality. This message from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. 
Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Well, we're here with another chat with Iowa State climatologist, Dr. Justin Glisson. Uh, obviously, we have some more U.S. drought monitors that came out. So, Justin, let's go ahead and talk about the one that came out for this week. So, basically, if we look at the map, it's status quo. We had a little bit of improvement across southwestern Iowa, where we've seen heavier rainfall totals. But with these cooler-than-average temperatures over the last seven days, along with widespread precipitation now, albeit below average precipitation was just enough to hold the map uh, steady. Uh, now we are seeing drier conditions in Southern Iowa. And if we don't see more rainfall and as our temperatures warm up, we could see further degradation across Southern Iowa in the next several iterations of the, of the drought monitor depiction. Right, and was the, the Southern tiers of Iowa, were they in a drought level yet or were they in that uh, pre-drought uh, distinction? Yes, so that pre-drought pre distinction is that D0, abnormally dry conditions. We see that across basically the southern uh, tier of counties along the Iowa-Missouri border. Then you move further north and you're in that D1 to D2 designation. And we've seen that expand over the last uh, three weeks, basically. Right, and of course, uh, Northwest Iowa has been uh, taking it pretty hard on the chin as well. Uh, I talked with uh, Congressman Feenstra on uh, Saturday uh, this past Saturday, and, and he said with the rain that everybody else got, they got about half an inch, so they could still use a lot more up there, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. That that rain's going to help the soybeans uh, that haven't burned up. Uh, corn, we've, we've got farmers up that way chopping silage already, so very dry conditions. That's where we have that D3 category across several counties. Now, we have seen some improvement up in that D3 region, given some heavier rainfalls over the last two weeks. But overall, northwestern Iowa, if we go back two to two and a half years, we're still seeing precipitation deficits on the order of 15 to 25 inches. So it would take very many months of above average precipitation to really start to improve those longer term drought conditions that we see up that way. Right, of course. And, you know, thinking of those uh, rain events, we, we had a, a pretty good rain event uh, last Friday with the kind of, you know, just heavy rainfalls that came through mostly uh, central Iowa. Uh, and a bit through, uh, you know, southwest and the southern tiers as well. Uh, you know, what, what came from that storm? How much did that help out? Yeah, that was an interesting low pressure system. That's kind of a low pressure system that we would see later in fall or in spring, a widespread low pressure system that spun in several rounds of showers and thunderstorms. Now, if you were at the fair on Friday, um, a thunderstorm popped up right over the Des Moines metro within five to 10 minutes of in going severe. We had anywhere from <clears throat> golf ball to tennis ball size hail in some of the western suburbs of Des Moines. Heavy rain over at the fairgrounds, not a lot of hail, uh, but overall widespread rainfall across the, the state, but pockets of slightly above average totals. In, in fact, my rain gauge in Des Moines had about 2.6 inches over that 24 hour period. Uh, so heavy rainfall across parts of the state and then the parts of the state that really need good totals uh, to hold on the crop through harvest are not really receiving it and that's just what we're stuck in a pattern in which the rain is going where we don't need it um, those cooler temperatures have been a silver lining they have cut down on some of the atmospheric demand and some moisture stress uh, so overall that's again we go back to the drought map we haven't really seen any any real movement in either way, degradation or improvement. 
Right, and something interesting that's, you know, we've been following the crop tour as they go around and as they went through kind of northwest Iowa, they said that things certainly weren't amazing up there, but things weren't looking as bad as they thought. And, and while the corn did look a little stunted, the corn that was there was real good. And I'm kind of curious, you know, with the late planting that we had, did that kind of help us avoid some of the worst that we could have seen? Yeah, so April was cool and wet. Now, we, you know, it's almost better to plant in drier soils because it forces those corn roots deeper. And when we do get into periods in which we are dry for an extended uh, time period, um, the, the corn is able to access deeper soil moisture. Uh, we saw the same thing last year. We actually were planted early or near average last year, but we had periods of extended dryness and we saw drought across much of the northern two-thirds uh, two of the state. Uh, we had those hanger-on rains, those million-dollar rainfall uh, right when we needed them last year, and we had a great harvest in terms of yields last year, given how dry things were. We're seeing the same conditions this year. We've had those timely rainfalls that have held the crop on, and given that delayed planting that we've seen, uh, we did catch up with uh, those growing degree day units in May and June, uh, but that that buffer that we had has saved some of the, the crop and the drier parts of the state. Uh, so again, those cooler temperatures and the rainfalls that we've seen recently have done a, a better job of holding the crop on in these drier periods that we've seen. Right, and you know, as we get closer and closer to that uh, crucial part of the harvest season and just into harvest uh, itself, you know, sometimes USDA numbers aren't exactly incredibly accurate to what we're seeing compared to if you just look at it yourself. So uh, what are you thinking uh, this crop's gonna look like, you know, just looking through your crystal ball the best you can? A crystal ball, yes. Uh, so yeah, as in last year, we were we were pessimistic in terms of the conditions that we were, we were seeing on the ground in terms of precipitation and those warmer temperatures. Uh, but again, we saw those, those rainfalls right when we needed them. Uh, pollination, uh, uh, pod fill on soybeans, <clears throat> grain fill on corn. Uh, so these cooler temperatures along with these widely scattered showers and thunderstorms that we've seen. Um, in my field tours, uh, the crop has looked better than uh, what, uh, what the precipitation deficits would uh, suggest and what our modeling has suggested. Uh, so if we see these cooler temperatures and the rainfall that we uh, are expecting through the end of August, uh, I think things could look good like last year. We have knocked down some of the top line yields given the, the weather conditions that we've gone through, uh, but overall I'm optimistic in terms of what we'll see in harvest. All right, Justin, well, I know you're always looking for uh, input from farmers and, and discussion there, so uh, how can they get a hold of you to just kind of discuss crop conditions? Yeah, a few ways. Uh, go on to Google and Google Iowa Climatology Bureau. It'll give you my contact information, along with all kinds of weather and climate information, drought monitor, uh, climate, climatological outlooks. Uh, my direct line is 515-281-8981. And my email address is justin.glisson, G-L-I-S-A-N, at Iowa Agriculture, all one word, dot G-O-V. All right. Well, it was great talking with you today, Justin, and we look forward to catching up with you again soon. Great, Riley. Always nice to talk with you. That again was Iowa State climatologist Dr. Justin Glisson. And that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin will wrap up as he talks with Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Hi, my name is Ethan Smith, and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for about six years. 
The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it helps keep me informed on new topics and research around the industry, including soils, insects, diseases, and much more. It's also a great way to network with others around the state and beyond. Iowa is known for its crops, and that's why we're here. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to this edition of Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. Well, as we wrap up this lull between the State Fair and the Farm Progress Show, we're going through some of the great conversations we had in Des Moines over the 11 days of the State Fair. And we had the chance to talk with Iowa Senator Joni Ernst about different topics, including inflation reduction and also the Farm Bill. And here's what she had to say during her visit. So we're here at the Iowa State Fair, and I'm with Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. First of all, Senator, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Always great to be with you, Dustin. Thank you. All right. So a lot of things going on here at the fair. First of all, talk about what you're doing here today. Well, out and about, of course, who would miss the Iowa State Fair? So I think uh, most of Iowa is here today, but we are out. We've visited with the cattlemen's. We'll be with the pork producers later. Um, of course, the Turkey Federation, you name it. If they are involved in agriculture, we're going to be visiting with them here at the Great State Fair. Seen a lot of folks from the Red Oak Stanton area already. we got a number of folks showing hogs. They've got, uh, of course, the Governor's Charity Steer Show going on. But we're just really glad to be engaged. So they haven't roped you into showing a steer yet? Well, I've done it for many years, and this year we had so many other obligations to hit. But uh, hopefully here in the next year or so we'll be able to get back into the Governor's Charity Steer Show. All right. And so I know you guys are on break right now, and last week was the big vote. Now, of course, um, there were things we talked before about it where there was things you couldn't support in the bill, and I understand. Right. Let's first of all talk about what was in there, because I know the ethanol industry, biofuels right. industry is happy with some of the things that are in there. What is in that bill that you can at least be well, happy about? And that that is one of the things that we are celebrating with the bill. If there's anything to celebrate, it's the fact that uh, we were able to get some biofuel measures in there. Amy Klobuchar was very, Senator from Minnesota, was very instrumental in doing that. And so I think that's one good thing that I think the listeners uh, can appreciate. Um, Of course, there were a lot of other measures we don't necessarily support. But when it comes to biofuels, the the more help we can get in that area, the better off we're going to be. Okay, I'm going to ask something. It's kind of ag-related, but the armchair pundits of social media have often been talking about it. And that was like the diabetes medication. I know that's something you stood for. But I know it was part of that bill. How did you feel about getting okay. that Okay, so, you know, it's it's interesting because, unfortunately, I was supporting a measure that really would have provided relief for everyone across the board, including those that are uninsured mm-hmm. and gaining access to affordable insulin. The measure that did pass and was put into the bill will cap those that are insured, it'll be $35 per month, but it's only for certain people that are insured with certain insurances. And all it does is shift then the cost to their rates. Okay. So it's just moving the money around. What I would like to see is a more comprehensive plan, which Senator Grassley has addressed in the past, but we've got to figure out something for this insulin, and we've got to make sure that uh, those that are uninsured and really struggling with the cost of insulin find the right way forward 
So, you know, more discussions yet to follow on that. Okay, and so when you get back from break, obviously Farm Bill is up there on the list of priorities. Of course, as people have been saying, come January, it may be a whole new management scenario for that bill. But right now, yeah. what are you hearing, at least in the talks, and how are committees handling that? You know, talks have gone really well, and we have been working on a number of different measures to move forward as we're getting into the Farm Bill season on the Ag Committee. Um, but we also saw with this so-called Inflation Reduction Act, there, were, there was a large conservation piece in that. We're not sure how that's going to work, because a lot of that did not go through the EPW committee. It didn't go through the Ag Committee. So we're going to have to figure out how that dovetails in with the farm bill that's coming up. All right. And of course, uh, the cattle bills that are going through that are working too. How are how's things going on that? Yeah, I just had a great conversation uh, with the Iowa Cattlemen's and we are very hopeful that we'll get these bills out on the floor of the Senate. They've gone through our Senate Ag Committee. Senator Grassley has worked very, very hard on these measures, um, whether it's with the Inspector General, whether it's the Market uh, Transparency and Pricing Act. Uh, so we want to see that move. The timing is in question right now. I don't know that it'll be really soon, but maybe once we get through the election, we can see that brought up on the floor as a part of a larger package. We're unsure how the House is going to handle it. All right, what other issues are you going to be working on ag-related when we get back from the break? A lot of it will focus on conservation. Um, as we're moving into the Farm Bill, great interest in the conservation title, of course. Farmers are interested. We have carbon capture hanging out there. We all want to know how to execute some of that. Um, but then as well, when it comes to uh, renewable fuels, that runs through EPW. We want to keep pushing and making sure that we're moving ahead biofuels. We've got to move, continue to move ahead. We've introduced a Next Generation Fuels Act. I think we've talked about that before. So we want to make sure that we're getting more ethanol into our fuel supply. And we had Lance Littlebridge here earlier from Iowa Corn, and he yes. was talking to us about fertilizer, and yes. you've been involved in trying to get that figured out. What are things at with that right now? Yes, and I just had a conversation with Lance about this um, this morning. And so we really need additional competition in the market, but we also need to take a look at the tariffs. And this is where we've really been pressing the U.S. Trade Rep, Catherine Tai. I've had conversations with her. We just sent a letter off to the White House to President Biden asking him to drop those tariffs. So we need to lower the cost overall of fertilizer and products that we are using in our fields. It is really, really hurting our farmers. Um, so we want to make sure that prices are fair and we need competition. All of those things are things that we need to be working on, but we need a little help from the administration in order to do that. How receptive have they been to that kind of topic? I mean, obviously, you know, tariffs, and that can be a touchy subject with either whoever's in the White House, but obviously you don't want to put any of your people in any kind of a bind. Exactly, but what, what we are, are saying to the president, to Catherine Tai, is that we have a lot of food insecurity around the globe right now, and especially with the war between Russia and Ukraine, we see the, the tightening um, in Europe and Africa with food availability, which means we really need to ramp up production here in the United States. And if we're not easing up on some of these tariffs and, and getting prices down, it's going to be hard for our farmers to help with 
with the situation we see around the globe. So we're, we're asking the administration to step in, do the right thing. Even if it's a temporary easement of activities, you know, let's do it for now. Let's give our farmers a shot at competing globally in this market, which is really wide open now. Okay, and obviously the things that affect our trade, you got a couple big countries that are poking around in little countries right now. You got Russia and Ukraine, and China's stepping up and showing Absolutely. their muscles. What's going on on that front? Because I know that affects the whole economy, but agriculture especially. It does, and this is where we've seen a, a real kind of upset the, the basket, in this case the bread basket, when Russia came into Ukraine. They are the bread basket of Europe and of Africa. So with Russia destroying crops throughout Ukraine, um, of course we're starting to see a flow of grain out of Odessa, the port there in Ukraine, but it's still not what it should be. And there's a lot of question uncertainty coming up in the future. So we do have to really work that market. China, that's a, a whole other conversation as well. You know, China has to feed a lot of people. They have a population they need to sustain. They need the United States, and in particular Iowa, selling our soybeans, selling our corn, getting our hogs, getting our beef. I mean, they need us to feed their people. We need to leverage that. All right. And so before we let you go, I ask this every year, but of course I gotta ask, what food are you gonna make sure you stop for here at the fair? Okay, we are right by this corn dog station over here. Okay, so that will be later probably as I'm leaving the fair. Yep. Um, but of course the hot beef sundaes, that's always a fair favorite yep. too. Grab yourself a funnel cake. There's a whole bunch of new foods out there. Picnic in a cup. I'm yeah. intrigued by that, but everything that you find here, it's going to be Iowa grown, Iowa raised, and you're supporting Iowa agriculture. All right. Well, Senator, thank you so much for taking time to visit us with your busy fair schedule. Thank you so much, Dustin. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. That brings us to the end of this week's show. We thank you for tuning in with us here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. You can find replays of the show under our podcast tab at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker, Riley Smith, and Mark Magnuson, I'm Dustin Hoffman. We thank you for tuning in. This has been Weekend Ag Matters.